And I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles now to the New Testament book of Acts. We've been studying this book, as I said earlier, throughout the summer. And uh, we're up to Acts chapter 8. So the last time we, uh, we looked at Acts, we looked at the story of Stephen, who was the first martyr in the church, as he's often referred to. Um, he was uh, killed for his faith. We'll touch on that just a bit this morning. And uh, we're going to uh, head into chapter 8, though, as the gospel now begins to spread into Samaria. And I would just like to ask you and encourage you to keep your Bibles open this morning. We're going to sort of walk through different parts of the text. And uh, I think you'll get a lot more out of it if you've got your Bibles open and can follow along. And, um, you know, if that's a fearful thing for you, you don't know the Bible all that well, you're not all that familiar with it, there's no better time to get familiar with it than during a worship service. So grab a Bible. Um, It's God's word for us, but it's God's word for you as well. So um, let's hear what God has to say to us this morning. We'll begin with chapter 8, verse 1, again, page 1704 in your Bibles, 1704. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is the divine power known as the great power. In other words, this man is like God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of Jesus, of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, 
because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. When they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And uh, can you hear me okay? Does that sound all right? All right, I feel like I'm um, trying really hard and it's not hitting the audience, but uh, um, good, I'm glad you can hear I don't know how long my voice is going to hold out this morning. So, this morning, we have already um, talked about baptism. We read a form about what it means, right? And then we witnessed uh, three baptisms here. And now when we get to Acts chapter 8, we find that this, uh, this chapter actually talks about baptism as well. And so, it would seem natural that we talk a little bit about baptism this morning. And that's what we are going to do. Now the thing about baptism and Acts chapter 8 is that this chapter has raised a bit of a controversy throughout the Christian church over time, different controversies, all right? Because when you get to the end of the end of the chapter, it sounds like there is a difference between just being baptized into Christ and receiving the Holy Spirit, that somehow those two things can be separated. In fact, in some parts of the church today, there are those who believe that there are two baptisms, and you have to go through two baptisms to be a true believer in Jesus Christ. One is a water baptism, and then there's a second baptism. It's a baptism with the Holy Spirit. And I think that controversy has often consumed us to the extent that the rest of what we read in chapter 8 about baptism is sort of overshadowed. And, and we don't really look at what else Luke is telling us baptism is all about and what baptism means. And so we're going to talk about baptism and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that just briefly, this idea of two baptisms. But where we want to start this morning is just with a little bit of context so that I'm hoping we begin to see this big picture of what's going on here in Acts. And then we're going to narrow it down to what our own baptisms mean for us. So let's look at the context of this passage for just a moment. And um, we have to go back to Acts chapter 1 once again to get the flavor of what this is all about. And it's a text that we've read over and over again, what Jesus says to his disciples, and that is, you will receive power, okay, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses from Judea to Jerusalem, or Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. Now there's three things there. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. You will be my witnesses, Okay? And the word of God is going to go all the way to the ends of the earth. All right? Now, let's keep that in mind as we read through chapter 8 again. Let's begin in verse 1 where it says, On that day. 
Okay? On that day, what day are we talking about? Well, it's the day of Stephen's death. This is the day that Stephen has been martyred. Okay, and what we have to understand, again, going back to the last sermon on this text, Stephen was killed for his faith. He was witnessing to the fact that Jesus Christ is well, he's alive, he's risen from the dead, he's in heaven reigning over all things. That's the reason why Stephen was killed, because he was a witness. Okay, And so the very first part of this text, Luke is telling us, this is about witness. We're not just going to put that topic behind us. This is what Jesus said from the very beginning. You will be my witnesses. The theme of witness continues on right here in chapter 8. It's about the gospel going out. Now, let's go on. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Okay? This text is about the extending of the gospel into all parts of the world. It's moving out. Okay? A great persecution has broken out. And the gospel is going forth. Now there's kind of a cause and effect here that I want you to see. There's a cause and effect going on. The death of Stephen has caused a great persecution. And that great persecution has scattered the church out of Jerusalem. Okay, People have been forced to leave their homes, to leave their businesses, to leave their schools. They've been forced out of their homes and scattered and that scattering has actually led to an increase in ministry. Okay? The gospel has gone out now from Jerusalem to Samaria. That's what this text is about. Now, you have to ask a couple things here. When Jesus said, okay, you will be my witnesses, and the gospel is going to go forth, do you think his disciples thought, well, that means we're going to be persecuted. That's how it's going to happen. Probably not right? And do you think the persecutors, the people who were persecuting the church, thought, well, if we persecute the church, we're going to spread the gospel to all corners of the earth? Probably not, right? Their intent was to put a lid on the gospel, to put a lid on the church, to stop its progress. Just the opposite happened. And friends, we often think ourselves that it's in good times it's in times when, when life is good and all is well that that's the best time for the gospel to flourish. That's not necessarily the case either. It's the persecution of the church that has scattered the church. Now, that big picture we have to see, the persecution scattering the church into Samaria, and now the word is being proclaimed in Samaria, and, and the Samaritans are believing. And what happens? They're baptized, okay? And then we get this weird thing, like I said, has become controversial. Well, but they were baptized, but they didn't receive the Holy Spirit. What is that about? Is it two baptisms? I don't think so, friends. If you go back to what we read in our form for baptism, those first words from Peter, they very clearly, be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. Those two things always go together. There's even a word here in the text, um, where it says, uh, 
Oh, in verse uh, 16, they had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. It's as if these two things normally go together, okay? But this time, just one happened. Now, why? Well, let's think about that a moment, all right? There are different times in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church. The first one is in Acts chapter 2. When the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church in Jerusalem that Peter is preaching to, right? And it's all of the Jews in Jerusalem who receive the Holy Spirit. It's Jews that have come from all over the world, but it's, it's Jews. Then there's a, there's a place in Acts chapter 10 and 11 where Peter proclaims the gospel to Cornelius, who is a Gentile, and to his family. And what you read there is that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles. And so it's like you've got... Two Pentecosts, one for the Jews, and then there's another Pentecost for the Gentiles, confirming the fact that the gospel belongs to them as well. Sandwiched in the middle of that is something we often miss, and this is where the gospel goes to the Samaritans. Just like Jesus said, it will go from Jerusalem to all Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth, to the Gentiles. When the gospel goes to the Samaritans, what happens? Peter and John, the apostles, come down from Jerusalem, and it's like they have to sort of authenticate or validate that this is real. The gospel is for the Samaritans as well. And sure enough, they lay hands, they pray, and the Holy Spirit descends on the Samaritans as well. It's like you've got three Pentecosts. The Holy Spirit is confirming again and again These are my people. They were all saved by Jesus Christ and by the very same gospel. Okay? So let's just put aside that idea of two baptisms. All right? What's happening here is the confirmation that the gospel belongs to all people who come to him, who come to God in the name of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, that's sort of a bird's eye view of what's going on here in the text. By bird's eye view, I mean, you ever been in that situation where your plane is almost landing or your plane is just taking off, and you look down and you see the city from a whole different perspective, right? And, and you see exactly how all of the streets are laid out, how the city was planned, how you're supposed to get from one end of the city to the other, and it all looks quite beautiful, and, and it all looks like it's really functioning well, right? Cars you see stopped at a stoplight, and then they go, and then cars stop. It, it, it really looks kind of cool. That's kind of the bird's eye view, and that's what you're getting right up front here in Acts chapter 8, this bird's eye view of how the church is growing. Jesus Christ is directing the growth of his church from Jerusalem out to the ends of the earth. Now we want to start to get more of a street-level view. Okay, how does this happen at street level? Because being at street level is very different, isn't it? If you get stuck at a stoplight and your car is overheating and 50 cars in back of you are backing up and honking their horns and yelling things you don't want your kids to hear, it's a very different kind of experience, right? And, and yes, we can read about the gospel and how the church was persecuted and it just went out to the ends of the earth, but what does that look like at more of a street level? So let's, um, let's look at four things that I think our own baptisms imply, okay? Our own baptisms imply. The first one is this. 
baptize people understand the call to evangelism. Let me say that again. Baptize people understand the call to evangelism. Um, Look with me at verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Okay? Now, the word that's used there for preached in the Greek is really the word, um, it's the same word as evangelism. They evangelized. In other words, this isn't a formal kind of preaching that people got up on soapboxes and started preaching the gospel. This is about evangelism. This is about neighbor to neighbor. Okay? It's the street level kind of evangelism. Now let's ask, who is doing this kind of evangelism? Those who had been scattered. Okay? Well, who were those who had been scattered? Well, go back to verse 1. All except the apostles were scattered. What's happening here is, for some reason, the apostles were able to remain in Jerusalem. Maybe they were too public a figure to to continue to persecute. But the rest of the church is, is the people who are pushed out of Jerusalem. They're the lay people. They're the people just like you and me. Those are the ones who have been scattered. Those are the ones who have been forced to leave their homes and flee and make a new home somewhere else. Who are the people who are doing the evangelism? It's people just like you and me. And sometimes we tend to think, especially in the organized church, well, that's the job of the pastors and the pastor's staff. That's the job of our our missionaries that we pay to do that sort of thing. That's not what Luke is telling us. Luke is telling us this was the lay people. Okay, this is the street level view. This is the part we don't see when we talk about the gospel going to all corners of the earth. We don't see um, Margaret, who's got to explain to her new neighbor why I had to leave my home in Jerusalem and end up in a place like Samaria that I never thought I would be, I never wanted to be, but I believed in this Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And they kicked me out of my hometown. I had to run. Luke isn't telling us the details, right, about Joe, whose palms were all sweaty as he had to apply for his first job in Samaria and tell, well, this is why I had to leave my last job. It wasn't because I was doing such lousy work. It was because I believe in this Lord Jesus Christ. And then he had to go home that night and pray that he would actually get the job and that he didn't say too much, but he said just enough. Luke doesn't say what kind of prayers were being offered here by the lay people as they were moving from place to place and praying, Lord, give me the boldness to continue to proclaim the name of Jesus to all my new friends and my neighbors. That's not written there, and yet it is. When Luke says the people were scattered, were all the people except the apostles. What does it mean to be baptized, friends? What, what is this, baptism? First of all, it's a public mark. Baptisms happen in public. The Christian Reformed Church has always said, we, this is something we want to do in a worship service with the family of God. Why? Because it's public. It doesn't happen in your grandma's bathtub at home, locked in the bathroom where it's just you and her. Why? 
because it's a public sign. Okay, it's the same thing that Stephen did when he was martyred. He, he proclaimed, he professed the name of Jesus before men, and Jesus said, therefore, I will profess your name before the angels of heaven. There's a public side of baptism. We witness, we testify. That's not intended to be a one-time thing. Baptism is not meant to happen once and be done with. It's something that we carry around with us the rest of our lives. We testify that we have been marked. We are God's people. We no longer belong to the world and to the gods of this world. We belong to Jesus Christ. We are his and his alone. That's, that's in our form, again, where God sets us apart. We are called to evangelize, friends. That's part of our, our baptism. Um, the second thing that baptism means, baptized people understand the gospel. Okay? Baptized people understand the gospel. If you look with me at verse 5. Philip went down to a city in Samaria. Now, you think, big deal. It is a big deal. The Jews didn't like the Samaritans. In fact, they despised the Samaritans. Of all the people on the earth, the Samaritans were the worst. Okay? They were known as half-breeds. And there's a long history to that. They were literally half-breeds. They were half-Jewish and half-Gentile. Okay? And they were despised by the Jews. They worshipped in different places. They claimed to worship the same God, but they did it in different ways. And so they, they basically thought these people are not worthy of salvation. God would never save these people. Now, we read here, so Philip went down to Samaria. And what did he do? And proclaimed the Christ there. What that tells us, friends, is that something has changed in Philip. Something has changed in Philip. And what's changed is he no longer feels superior. Philip understands the gospel. What does the gospel tell us? The gospel tells us that apart from the gospel, everybody is hopeless. The gospel tells us that apart from the gospel, everyone is evil and lost. Everyone. And therefore, what the gospel tells us is that no one, no one is really more hopeless or more lost than anyone else. And therefore, anyone can be saved and changed and incorporated into the family of God. Anyone, even Samaritans. Are there people, friends, in your lives that you have placed in that category of unsavable, hopeless? God would not save them. Maybe there are pe people from a different political party than yours. Maybe there are people who vote a different way on a certain issue. Maybe there are people who live in a certain part of town. Maybe they're the really, really rich or the really, really poor. Are there people like that in your life? 
I hope not. Because the gospel changes us as baptized people to the point that we no longer feel superior. We lose our pride. We lose our arrogance. Like Paul, we say, I'm the worst of sinners. And if if Jesus Christ could save me, he, he can save anybody. How does the gospel spread? It spreads when Jews begin to go and proclaim the gospel to Samaritans. Some of you have have read the book uh, or seen the movie Unbroken, the story of Louis Zamperini. He was in the war. Um, You know, his plane landed in in the water, so he was out in the ocean for a long time, ended up in a Japanese prison camp, Um, went through horrible experiences in that prison camp, was tortured. He went through so much, okay? When he got back home, finally, after the war, he gave his life fully to Christ. And one of the things that he was moved to do was to go back and to visit his captors, the people who had tortured him and done all of that, and to forgive them and to tell them why he had forgiven them. Because he had been forgiven by Jesus Christ. That's what Philip did. And that's what happens throughout the Christian world as those who have been changed by the gospel go even to their greatest enemies and declare, I have been forgiven by Jesus Christ and I want you to be forgiven by him as well. Baptized people understand the gospel. Third, baptized people engage in word and deed ministry. Word and deed ministry. Look at verse 6. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. They all paid close attention to what he said. Okay? What he did made them pay attention to what he said. Whenever I hear that phrase, pay attention, I'm sorry, it's a personal example again. My mind always goes to Lily when she was like two years old, maybe three, because she was in school and she heard this phrase a lot. Um, but Jackie and I would be talking in the kitchen and, and Lily would be like, finally she'd say, pay attention, pay attention. She wanted us to pay attention to her, right? And she heard that in school, obviously, a lot. Lily, pay attention. Um, so whenever I hear that phrase, that's what I think about. But, but think about this. The people paid attention to what Philip said. Why? Because he did things among them. Loving deeds. Serving deeds. His deeds of love made them pay attention to what he said. And friends, that's something we have to understand. The gospel requires more than just words. Now, words are essential. The gospel is words, but the gospel is also deeds. Jesus died on the cross, right? As Christians, ask yourself, okay, what deeds of love, what deeds of service am I doing 
that might just encourage the people around me to pay attention to the gospel, to the words of the gospel. Don't leave the deeds for someone else. I think we're really, really good at that. Somebody else will do that. Somebody else will do that. And it's not me. But people who are baptized understand that word and deed go together. Last thing, okay? Baptized people are not in it for themselves. Are not in it for themselves. What are we supposed to do with this guy, Simon? All right? What are we supposed to do with Simon? Simon the sorcerer, Simon who was baptized, and yet it's very clear, I think, that Simon has not received the Holy Spirit. And Peter says as much. Look what he says in verse 21. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Your heart is not right. What he's saying there is, you have not received the Holy Spirit. Simon, you're the same from beginning to end. When you're introduced in Acts 8 to the time you leave the scene, you really haven't changed. It's all about you. You kind of like that idea of everybody walking around you and proclaiming you to be God. And now at the end, he wants this power not of the Holy Spirit within him so that he can participate in the ministry of God so that he can share in the mission of Jesus Christ. He wants it so he can give the Holy Spirit to other people and they can be impressed with how great a man Simon really is. How do you deal with that? Simon's baptized, but he doesn't show any signs of having the Holy Spirit. I wonder if he might be an example for us of something that's very important. Look back with me for a moment at chapter 7, verse 51. Okay? Chapter 7, verse 51. And we'll only take a few minutes here. This is Stephen and his speech to the court, to the Sanhedrin, to those who are judging him, right? To those who will soon convict him to death. This is what he says to them. And there's a lot here. I'll try and narrow it down. But he says, you stiff-necked people, okay? The, the people of Israel heard that all the time, wandering in the desert. Why? Because they were stiff-necked. They weren't responsive to the Lord. He says this, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. Uncircumcised hearts and ears. Now that's a phrase the Old Testament speaks of again often calls the people uncircumcised hearts. And there's a distinction that's being made here, right? There's a distinction that Stephen is making. He's saying, you people are circumcised in your bodies, but you're not circumcised in your hearts. Your hearts aren't responsive to God. And you're uncircumcised in your ears, in other words, even the word of God is having no impact on you. It's not changing you. It's not directing your ways. It's not calling you to submit. It's not doing anything. It's bouncing off. You have uncircumcised hearts and ears. <clears throat> Stephen 
Throughout that speech, if you go back through his sermon, he keeps referring to the ancestors of Israel, Abraham and Moses and all those people. He calls them our fathers, our fathers, our fathers did this. When he gets to this point of the speech, what does he say? Your fathers. Your fathers were stiff-necked, uncircumcised people of heart and ear. What's he saying? He's saying there is a distinction even in Israel. We have all experienced God's saving acts on our behalf. He took us out of Egypt. He brought us through the wilderness. He brought us into the promised land. We've all responded, or we've all received those acts, but we have all responded in different ways. Some of us have chosen to follow our God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and some of us have continued to ignore God and do things our own way. In other words, there are the circumcised of body, and then there are the circumcised of heart. And I wonder if Luke, early in the book of Acts, is telling us in the person of Simon, there are also people who are baptized in body, but they are not baptized in heart. What does Peter say? He says, Simon, your heart is not right before God. In other words, there are people in the church who have been baptized. They're well aware of all the events of Jesus Christ, and they're aware that this was all done for them. But there's been no response. One day is just like the day before. Our hearts are not responding. What, what might be a sign of a heart that responds? Again, verse 21. You have no part or share in this ministry. In other words, what Jesus Christ is doing through his church, what he's doing right here in Acts 8, bringing the gospel from Jerusalem to Samaria, What Jesus Christ is doing, you have no part in it. You don't care about it. You don't care about lives being changed. You don't care about people who are living in darkness, finding new life and hope. You don't care about families and communities that could be changed forever for generations that might praise God and extend his glory throughout the world. You don't care about that, he's saying. All you care about is yourself. Is it convenient for you? Is it fun? Does it excite you? Are your children excited about it? Friends, the baptized, those who are baptized into Jesus Christ, they get excited about his ministry, about what he is doing. They want to be a part of it. They want to support it. They want to encourage it in any way that they can. Ask yourselves, friends, is that you? Is that you? Or, or does it have to be convenient? You know, we've had a, a, a string of missionaries coming in here this summer. We had the Seitzmas, right? Anthony and Sarah. And then we had Josiah Walcott, uh, who works with, you know, um, children of the military in England. And, and then just last week, we had partners worldwide, right, who are trying to spread the gospel by creating jobs 
Uh, we heard about the well drilling rig and in, um, in Mozambique and what's happening in Ebenezer there. Next week we're going to hear some more from Kurt Sellis as he talks about Reframe Ministries, which is sort of the, um, the media ministry of the Christian Reformed Church, bringing the gospel out any way we can. And then we had Operation Grow all summer, right? To support the Vangs, to, to spread the gospel in a whole other part of the world. Did any of that turn your crank? Did any of it? Did you ever leave thinking, wow, I am so thankful for what God is doing through his Holy Spirit, and I want to be a part of it. However, whatever it takes, inconvenient as it might be, I want to be a part of that. And I'm going to get my kids to be a part of that. I hope so. I hope so. Because that's what it means to be baptized. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That we have a part in the ministry of Jesus Christ. It means something. We want to see his kingdom grow. We want to see his glory grow. Not our own. We forget ourselves. Friends, baptized people hear the call to evangelize. Baptized people understand the gospel Baptized people engage in word and deed ministry. And baptized people are in it for God's glory. Nothing else. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for our baptisms. You've called us to yourself. You've saved us through the blood of Jesus Christ, who reigns, who lives and reigns on high who directs still the mission of his church, a mission that you've called us to be a part of. Lord, may we live into our baptisms, fill us with the Holy Spirit, that we may live into what it means to be your baptized people, just people rubbing shoulders with ordinary people, neighbors and people at work and people who work for us, and, and Lord, just sharing what Jesus Christ has done for us with words, with deeds of love and service, all for your glory. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Help us to live out our baptisms. In Jesus' name, amen.